Amen. God's good. Well, we're going to talk tonight about a general view of the New Testament. Go from the begin the New Testament, and we're going to go into the ministry of Christ in this Search for Truth Bible study. Amen. Have y'all been blessed by these Bible studies? <clears throat> well, I'm excited about the Word of the Lord tonight. Okay, let's go right into the Word tonight, and let's look in the Scripture here. If you want to turn to John 1, you may do that. Um, John 1, I believe that's verse 45. I can't see it, but let's go over there. Amen. John chapter 1. Yeah, 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So what the Old Testament prophesied, the one that the Old Testament prophesied about, they said, we have found him. Amen. In the Old Testament, there was a longing and desire to find God. The New Testament says, we found him. Aren't you glad? Really, he has found us more than we have found him. And I'm excited about the Lord. I just, I love him. He's awesome. And let's just talk briefly, just get into this thing about the breakdown or the, the way the New Testament is organized here. Okay, praise God. I need somebody to go get my pointer. I always forget that thing. Brother Daniel, and the key is in that, that deal. You know what it is, where it is, the key? It, okay, the pointer is in the top center drawer on the desk, and the key is to the far right. Okay, he got it already. Thank God Brother Boss is in the right place at the right time. Okay, thank you. Amen. Always try to remind myself to bring this thing up here with me, and about halfway through, I finally remember. Amen. It's a great tool. All right, let's start trying to understand the New Testament and the way it's laid out. Let's see what we got. Okay. First of all, you got the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Correct. Now, actually, these four Gospels right here are still in the Old Testament, okay? Now, when you talk about the New Testament, you're talking about the will of God, like a will, like if you were to die or something, you leave a will behind. That's what a testament is. Now, what is the difference between a covenant and a testament? Right. Okay, that's correct concerning the will. It has to do with the death of the testator. But what is the difference between a covenant and a testament? Okay, the difference is a covenant can be between two parties with, and, and a person can receive the benefits of a covenant without the death of the other person. Okay, so <clears throat> there are covenants in, in the scripture. Some of them are conditional some of them are unconditional. You with me here? Say unconditional covenant and conditional covenants. Unconditional covenant is God saying, I will. I will do this no matter what the person does. I will do it. Okay, that's unconditional covenant. But within the unconditional covenant, there are conditional blessings. Okay? The blood covenant is an unconditional covenant. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. That will never change. Okay? A 
But the blessings of that covenant are determined upon my obedience to that covenant. Same way in the Old Testament. So even in an unconditional covenant, blessings are still conditional. Now there are, there are what is called conditional covenants in the Bible. A conditional covenant is based on obedience. Keeping that covenant. Keeping your side or your part of the covenant. That is a conditional covenant. Now let's go over to Zechariah, and I think I'll just go right into this and show you some things. Zechariah. In Zechariah, it lets us know that a covenant can be broken and that God Himself can break a covenant that He's made. Okay, you with me here? Uh, Zechariah chapter 11 verse 10 and I took my staff even beauty and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which I had made with all the people and it was broken in that day and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord so a covenant can be broken and it can be broken by God so there are, co- there are you with me here? Now, why would he break that covenant? Because the people haven't met the obligations of the covenant. So God can break that covenant. You with me here? Okay. But a testament, when you talk about a New Testament, you're not just talking about a covenant. You're talking about a will, an agreement. Go to Hebrews 9. Have I already bored you all? It's too, too quick, too early to get bored already. Okay, go to Hebrews 9. Let's look at this then. When you talk about an Old Testament and a New Testament, it's not just an Old Covenant and a New Covenant is my point. It is a will. A will is ratified or it becomes a reality at the time of the death of the testator, the one who's given the covenant. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Does everybody have that? Okay. And for this cause, he is a mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where a testament is or a will literally the word is the will okay for where a testament or a will y'all are familiar with wills that you write right before you die okay well as long as you're alive that will doesn't come in force correct okay so it says for where a will is or a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, when you talk about a testament then, you're talking about something, you're talking about a will, and it only comes in force and becomes a reality at the time the person dies. Covenants are not like that. Covenant, a person doesn't have to die for somebody else to get the benefit of the covenant. Okay? 
So when I talk about the New Testament then, because Jesus had not died yet in the Gospels until the end of the Gospels, the first part of the Gospels are not New Testament. Because the new, new will does not come into force until after his death. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are a bridge that bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And at the time of Jesus' death on the cross, followed by the book of Acts, founding of the church, that's when the new will or the New Testament comes into force. Not in the Gospels until his death, okay? Now, Galatians 4 also says that Jesus Christ was what? Made of a woman. Right? When? When was he born? Under the law. So when he was born, he walked still under the law dispensation. Until his death. And that at the time of his death, the law dispensation was fulfilled in him. He, he then brought in a New Testament or a new will, which we're living in now. And everybody that's asleep, say praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. When you get to the book of Acts, though... This is when the church actually starts. The church, you know, as we know it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into a lot of explanation on that. But as we know it today, the church started in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's after the death of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts is the history of the New Testament church. It tells us how to get into that will. You find out how to enter into that will in the book of Acts. Okay? Are y'all you, are you okay out there? You got it. I find out how to get in the kingdom. That This is the place I find that out right there in the book of Acts. So the apostle said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you do that, you enter into the will of God. You enter into the New Testament, the blood covenant and New Testament of God. You understand? And at that point, when you enter into it, then you have the Pauline epistles and other epistles that teach you how to walk in that inheritance. It shows you your inheritance and it shows you how to walk in that will and how to walk in that inheritance. And then you have, of course, are you with me? One book of prophecy here, which shows us the ultimate fulfillment of that will. The ultimate fulfillment of that testament. The ultimate fulfillment of that inheritance. All right, now, I'm adding a little bit of revelation to your Bible study, so, but it'll help it flow to you, for you, okay? But this New Testament that Jesus Christ brought in, this a dispensation of the Spirit that He brought in, was something that the prophets looked to prophetically. And they prophesied about Him. And He brought it in, praise God. The angels desired to look into it. It blows their mind to see a, a person who was born in sin, shaped in iniquity, 
plunged into this kingdom and receive all this inheritance and all these blessings that God promised them through the death of His Son. It blows their mind because everything that Jesus has, we are joint heirs with Him. So everything that He has is ours. And so when we get plunged into that kingdom, that blood covenant, we begin to participate in all the promises of that will. Amen. And it blows the angel's mind because they really don't understand how this God who is holy, who is the line of the tribe of Judah, can show mercy on a bunch of sinful people, redeem them, save them. See, if we understood how precious this will is, how, you know, if you found out you got a call when you got home tonight on the telephone and you got a call that somebody left you a million dollars. I mean, you didn't even know you had a rich uncle. I guarantee you there would be joy in the house. Celebrate. I'm telling you, excitement like you've never seen in your life. But you know, tonight I'm talking to you about eternal life. <laughs> I'm talking to you about things that prophets prophesied about. I'm, I'm talking to you about angels, things that angels desire to look into. And we sit there like we don't believe it. But it doesn't change the fact that you are wealthy beyond measure. It doesn't change the fact that you are rich beyond description. It doesn't change it. If you believe it or not, it's still true. If you've been plunged into the kingdom, you are now in His will. And all you need to do is go out there and get that inheritance. And, and so the prophets prophesied about it and the angels decided to look into it. It blows their mind. And I was thinking about this night before, we came, before I came to church. Think about what God has done for us. Eternal life, salvation from eternal damnation. And a promise of eternal bliss forever and ever and ever. But I, I tell you where we lose the, the greatness of that. We lose the greatness of this truth in our everyday problems and our struggles and our conditions. And I'll talk to you about that by the time we get to the end of the lesson. Because we're so focused on the present world that we lose sight of this awesome will and testament that he has provided and given to his people. We've got something to celebrate. Amen. We've got something to be happy about and so the testator has come the testator has died he's provided I'm in it you're in it and then prophecy shows the ultimate fulfillment of all of that the new Jerusalem where the people of God are going to be etc etc hallelujah so that's a lay down or lay out of the New Testament 27 books Take the word three and the, the word New Testament. Got three and nine. Multiply them. Three times nine, 27. 27 books. You with me here? Praise God. Okay. That's 
good enough. 27 books. I don't really like this eight author thing. I'd rather say there's eight writers than one author. It covers 100 years of time as far as the writing goes. 100 years of time. Okay. Well, see, the law continued. Now, that kind of throws people when you start talking about the Gospels to be still under the law. But we see the law is continued, right? Let's talk about it. We got a man by the name of John the Baptist. The Bible talks about a prophecy concerning him. Let's go to Isaiah 40, please. Are y'all excited about your salvation tonight? <clears throat> now, Isaiah 40, verse 3, we have a prophecy about John the Baptist, who's the runner, forerunner of the Messiah. The 40th book of the Old Testament. And let's look at verse 3 of that chapter 40. It says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Alright, so that's a prophecy about John, correct? That's in chapter 40 of Isaiah, verse 3. Well, let's go to the 40th book in the Bible, in chapter 3. And let's see what it says there. The 40th book, chapter 3, is Matthew. Remember, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. So the 40th book would be Matthew. Okay, Matthew chapter 3. Okay. Matthew 3 verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camels hair. A leather girdle about his loins and his meat was locust and wild honey. So in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, verse 3, we have the prophecy. In the 40th book of the Bible, chapter 3 and verse 3, we have the fulfillment of the prophecy. Because Isaiah, as you know, there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. And as you know, every chapter is a miniature book in the Bible. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 1 is the book of Genesis. Isaiah 2 is the book of Exodus. Isaiah 3, the book of what? Leviticus. Isaiah chapter 4, the book of Numbers. Isaiah 5, book of Deuteronomy. So Isaiah is a miniature Bible. So Isaiah 40 verse 3 is fulfilled in the 40th book of the Bible, chapter 3 and verse 3. Only God can do that. So we got a man by the name of John the Baptist has prophesied that he would come forth and he would be the forerunner to the Messiah. Now, when we're looking at this, Messiah hasn't come yet. But this man who's going to be the forerunner, the Bible describes what he's going to look like, what he wore, etc. When John comes forth, he's unlike any Old Testament prophet. In fact, he's greater than they are. Amen? He comes out of the desert. Let's talk a little bit about his birth though, okay? He's got, his daddy was a priest in the temple. His daddy's name was Zacharias. His mama's name was Elizabeth. Now, Zacharias is over. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost now. Man, without God, I'm an idiot. I promise you. Don't feel bad. You teach Bible studies and you're all tongue-twangled and everything. 
and you're waiting on God because I'm in the same dilemma. But the Holy Ghost shows up and you're all right. But, but anyway, Zacharias is in the temple in his particular course and he's ministering unto God, etc. And the Bible tells us that an angel appears to him. Gabriel appears to him. Praise God. And he tells him he's going to have a son. And this son is to be called John. Now, Zacharias, really, he has a hard time believing what he's hearing and what he's seeing. And by the way, isn't he, if he's going to be my son, shouldn't his name be Zacharias? Amen. And this angel's telling him that he needs to be called John. John. None of thy kindred is called by that name. <laughs> and so anyway, he goes out of the temple and he tells him, tries to tell him, you know, has sign language and everything going on there. What's just happened to him? He saw an angel of God and God said they're going to have a son. They're going to call his name John. He wrote it down. Amen. Pretty awesome. Hallelujah. Now, Elizabeth's in her house, you know, and she's, uh, she's, Pregnant with John, hallelujah, this awesome prophet of God that's going to be the forerunner. And all of a sudden, Mary walks in, about six months or so. Mary walks in, whoo, hallelujah, and starts sharing with her cousin Elizabeth about how an angel appeared to her. Whoo, kind of makes me wonder if there's been some angels appearing to some of you guys. I mean, we got kids coming around all over the place here, you know. But six months later, she walks in there and she starts testifying about the angel of God appearing to her. And when she does, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Hallelujah. Something comes alive in her. Now, it is believed that John, that, she, that he had not done any kind of movement until that time. But whenever the prophecy about the Messiah in Mary came forth that hey I'm carrying whoo, the promised Messiah then John leaps inside of Elizabeth's womb whoo. and the Bible says that John was filled with the Holy Ghost right then and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost right then whoo. see that's the awesome thing about the Word of God when it goes forth it'll cause something to start leaping on the inside of you so you know you heard a word from God when this dead thing that's on the inside of you starts leaping, starts getting excited, man. Something, something comes alive in you. Hallelujah. But see, God's doing something. He's doing it unique because nobody's ever been called John before, you know. But he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Now, the scripture tells us that John, he goes out into the wilderness. He's got a camel skin on he's got a leather girdle on i wonder what that uh, mantle he's wearing uh, wonder what it is wonder where he got that because he's wearing a mantle are you with me here he's wearing a prophet's mantle well it is believed that a lot and i'm throwing some extra stuff in here you don't have to do that in your bible study but see i gotta go with the holy ghost or i'll i will be a mess but anyway, it is believed that Elijah's mantle 
was placed after Elisha's time was taken and placed in the temple there at the place that they would minister in the altar of incense. So, so that when John comes forth, he's going to be cut out of the same stuff that Elijah was cut out of. He's going to have the spirit of Elijah upon him. And he's going to wear the mantle of Elijah when he goes for He's going to prophesy. He's going to say, look, that's the mantle of Elijah right there. Woo! In fact, Jesus said this, if you can receive it, John is Elijah. Now, that doesn't mean that John was a reincarnation of Elijah. What it meant was the same spirit that was upon Elijah was upon John the Baptist. He had that same kind of anointing and same kind of spirit and prophetic ministry when he comes forth. Amen. He comes out of the wilderness. Woo. His diet consisted of wild locusts and honey. Amen. He is a wild looking dude. He's not refined. He don't have a, a suit on like I got tonight. He doesn't have a tie on like I got tonight. He doesn't have a handkerchief in his jacket like I got tonight. He had no fancy shoes on like I got tonight. Hallelujah. He comes forth a wild looking dude. Now I want you to know though because he is a descendant of a priest. He, you know he, he's not completely insane. I mean. He's got some following there. Are you here right now? Praise God. But when he comes forth, he doesn't have all these refinements. And he doesn't come out of the palace. He's not a king. God didn't choose a king to, to be his forerunner. I'm talking about an earthly king. Come on, are you here tonight? He called this man John, whose name was different. Oh, yeah. Called this man out of a wilderness, not out of a palace. Call this man who eats wild locusts and, and, and honey. That's his mainstay. Comes out of the wilderness. Doesn't have the luxuries of life. Doesn't come out of a palace. But when he comes forth and he says, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I guarantee you one thing. He might not have had a lot of luxury. He might not have looked like a king. But I guarantee you when he came out, there was a shaking that took place. So much so that he, he said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. And multitudes of people begin to flock to this wild man by the name of John. To hear this ministry, this man. And basically his whole ministry is repent. He's very different. If every time I come to church and I stood in front of you and the only message I had for you was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Some of you would get tired of hearing the same old, same old. You want, you want to get into some deep things, you know. You want to go over here. Let's find out something new. Let's go into a different area of the word of God tonight. Amen. Let's don't get into this foundational stuff. Are you with me? Oh, don't look at me like that you know I mean I'm teaching search for truth and I feel that well it just search for truth stuff I feel that going on <laughs> hallelujah amen but I want you to know this man didn't have a real real long message he just said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and he said it over and he said it over and he said it over and he said it over. And the word repent means to rethink some things. Change your mind. 
He didn't change his message for kings. He didn't change his message for preachers. It didn't matter if you were a Pharisee preacher, a religious leader, a king in a palace. The message was the same for everybody. And he did not play favorites. And because he was a man of conviction, he shook the then-known world. We need men who stand behind pulpits, who have, woo, praise the Lord, hallelujah. We jumped all the way to hell. <laughs> okay, <laughs> brother. Come here, I need you to push this button for a little while. <laughs> oh, yeah. We jumped all the way to hell. <laughs> but we need some people who stand behind the pulpit and declare the truth to people without fear or without favor. We need to declare to people that they need to repent of their sins. They, they need to change their mind. They need to change their thinking about Jesus Christ. And they need to get right with God because the kingdom, now, the kingdom of God is not at hand. The kingdom of God is here. So that when Jesus comes into the world, he doesn't say, you know what? He looks at these Pharisees around him and he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Look at me. I'm here right now. It's no longer the kingdom. Now he at the first said, repent for the kingdom of God's hand. But he, at some point he said, I'm here right now. I am the kingdom. I'm telling you the kingdom of God is here right now. And we need to hear some good old preaching that talks about repentance from sin. Talks about, you know, leaving the world behind and, and walking with Jesus Christ. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He goes on, he talks to him like this. He said, you're a bunch of snakes. You see, he's not polished. He said, you're a bunch of serpents. You're a bunch of devils. <laughs> oh, and these Pharisees who claim to be the people of God, you know, they're part of the church, they think. And they're walking around in this crazy preachers telling them that they're serpents and snakes and telling them, you need to flee from the wrath to come. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Man, this guy's something else. But he's got conviction about him. He's, oh God, he's not focused on the world. He's focused on the kingdom of God. He said, I got to come right now and I got to lay the street straight, man. I got to prepare the way for the king. I got to get rocks out of the way. I got to get the highway level. I got to get everything prepared because Messiah is coming. Now, I want to tell you right now. That John the Baptist was an individual then who is a picture of the end time people that God's going to anoint. He's going to raise up prophets like Elijah and prophets like John the Baptist. And they're going to go out and tell everybody, Jesus is about to come a second time. You better repent. You better get right with God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is about to come a second time. Give God praise. But we need men. We need preachers that have conviction about them. They're not going to try to tickle people's ears. 
They're not going to bring philosophy to them, psychology to them. They're going to bring the Word of God to them. They're going to tell them the truth if they want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. How many of y'all want to be like John the Baptist? Well, let's go to Malachi and look at another prophecy about him. Malachi. Praise God. What an awesome man he was. Man of God. Malachi 3. Last book in the Old Testament. We have another prophecy about him. When he would come forth. Hallelujah. All right. Malachi 3 verse 1. Let's look at it. Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Well, that's good. You know, really what Malachi is saying is this. If you can't handle me, there's no way you can handle John. And if you can't handle John, you for sure can't handle Jesus. Because the Jesus that a lot of people are preaching today is not the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. But I want to tell you something. The Bible said when he comes forth, he's going to be like a refiner. Watch. You with me here? But who may abide the day of his coming, who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. When he comes in here, man, he's going to be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Like a refiner's fire. Woo. See, I don't know if John and I don't even know if Jesus would be welcome in most people's churches. Woo, yeah, 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 yeah. Praise God. Read the book of Malachi sometimes. See if you could handle what Malachi said. And Malachi said, I'm nothing compared to him. I'm nothing compared to John. And let me share this with you. When Jesus started preaching, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And the answer the disciples gave was, Some say you're Jeremiah. In fact, some of them say you're John the Baptist. Oh yeah, are you with me? See, they really didn't. They, they said, some said he's John. Some said he's like Jeremiah the weeping prophet. What I'm trying to tell you is that when Jesus came, he so much resembled John the Baptist that they said, well, he must be John the Baptist. Which means this, he was a refiner's fire when he came. I mean, he shook it up. He stirred it up. He looked at people in the eye. He said, you need to repent. You need to rethink some things. You need to change your mind. And I'm not just talking about John. I'm talking about Jesus. He was a fiery preacher. Woo. Look at what it says. 
Who may abide the day of his coming? Who can stand it? Who can handle it when he shows up? Ooh, hallelujah. I'll just be honest with you. Every once in a while, I feel like I'm in the same crowd. Because they want to critique and they want to criticize. Want to, God, he wouldn't act like that. God, he wouldn't talk like that. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't say that. Are you funny? If you can't handle me, you can't handle Jesus. If you can't handle me, you can't handle John the Baptist. These, these men came forth in such power and such conviction that put you on your face when you heard them preach. They had an anointing upon their lives. They didn't come forth to sugarcoat it and to smooth it over. They said, who can abide when they come? Who can stand it when they come? You see, you need to get an understanding of Jesus Christ. But most people today don't understand the anointing of God. Because they walk around in their own human intellect. And they, they have another Jesus that the Bible does not preach. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. Amen. This is good. I like this. Forerunner Jesus Christ. Uh, he preached repentance and baptism. But the Bible says, John said to them, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance. Yeah, all right, that's good. But there's coming one after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I baptize you under repentance, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's going to come like a refiner's fire. And everybody that's in his kingdom, he's going to baptize them with fire. I'll just say this right now. I feel impressed the Holy Ghost to tell you this. If you're going out in the world and trying to get accepted by all your friends. And you're going out there trying to be accepted by your family. Then you are missing this kind of call. Because when God really puts his hand on your life. You're not worried about what they think about you out there. You're not worried about what your family thinks. You are on fire. I mean you are fired up. And you are full of the Holy Ghost. And you're a man and a woman of conviction. You don't live like the world. You don't look like the world. You don't act like the world. And the message you have is a message of the kingdom of the living God. So it's time for us to stop trying to be friends uh, to the things that God hates. Uh, it's time for us to stop being friends to the world. Because the Bible said to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of Christ. So we're always out there trying, you know, trying our best not to ruffle feathers, you know. Well, I don't want to make them feel bad and all that. I'm not saying we want to go out there and just be in the flesh, you know. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about walking in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Well, you're true to God and true to that word. No matter what they say, no matter what they think. They can come and they can go. But it doesn't matter to you if you're going to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. It makes no difference to you. You want to win them. You want to bring them in the kingdom and you want to see them saved. But you understand you can't compromise what you believe. And you can't compromise what that word says in order to appeal to the flesh of men. We live in a generation, especially in America, 
the preachers try to cater to the flesh. They try to make the flesh feel good. They tick. Well. But these men went forth. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's going to be able to stand that kind of fiery message. Well, praise God. If the message wasn't so strong. The word wasn't so straight. Well, maybe we could live it. Maybe we could do it. You better get that out of your mind. I mean, when God's, I want to tell you something. When God's really talking, you feel like climbing under the pew. When God's really talking, you don't just feel like going and putting, kneeling down at the altar. You feel like digging a hole underneath that altar and climbing underneath it when God's really talking. In fact, I'll just lay this out to you in case you're hard, some of you are having a hard time with this. Every time God appeared to somebody that he called to preach, you know where they ended up? Face first. If you're destined for greatness, like this man was great, he, Jesus said there was none greater in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. Watch this. Ooh, yeah. He was greater than the prophets. But he said those who are now in the kingdom of God are greater than John. Now watch this. John was great. Jesus said he was. But look at what Jesus calls greatness. He calls a locust honey eating preacher with a mantle on him. Coming forth telling people there are serpents and snakes. And flee from the wrath to come and get right with God. He preached the same message to kings and, and to leaders. It didn't make any difference. And that's the kind of man God said was great. Everybody who's destined for greatness in the kingdom of God is humbled. John said this. He said, I must decrease, but he must increase. I know Jesus said I was great. I heard the rumor. He said I was great. But you see my greatness started on my face. My greatness will continue on my face. To be great means you walk in humility before God. And say I must decrease. But he must increase. When God appeared to Isaiah, woe is me. When he appeared to John, John fell on his face. When he appeared to Daniel, he fell on his face. If you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, when you uh, watch, hold on here. When you hear something calling you out in front of you, because when you've got the call of God in your life, it's always out in front of you. And it's calling you to greatness. It's calling you to be something bigger than what you are. But that call to greatness always starts on your face. When you recognize that God wants to use you greatly and powerfully, you don't throw up your head like you're some kind of big shot. You don't get offended at the Word of God. You don't want to get offended at discipline. You don't, don't get offended at correction. If you're destined for greatness, you understand i got to get on my face. Because God will only exalt those that humble themselves. The greater God uses you, the more He's going to humble you. The greater God uses you. Listen, you know, you think, man, when God really starts using me, and I really, boy, I'll start shining like I've seen myself shine. 
man I'm gonna be somebody no 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 when God's really using you you know where you're going you go down 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 you get on your face you don't talk about your great achievements in the past you only talk about the call of God on your life what you've done in the past is nothing in the sight of God repent for the kingdom of God is at hand nobody that's ever used by God greatly is not first crushed by God you need to understand that this man John was rejected and eventually beheaded for his ministry give God praise sitting in the prison cell Oh, do we look for another one? Or Jesus, are you the Messiah? All I know is my ministry's got me in a prison cell somewhere. And I'm fixing to get my head cut off because I've been preaching the kingdom. In fact, I'll tell you this. When you preach the kingdom of God, everybody that's a part of the kingdom of God loses their head sometime. The preacher behind the pulpit and the people in the pew all have to be beheaded spiritually to enter into that dimension called the kingdom of God. You've got to lose your life. You've got to take up your cross and not look for the soothing easy way. Well, boy, that, this goat went over real good, didn't it? I'll tell you one thing it'll do for us. It'll get us back where we're supposed to be in our thinking. That's why John said, you need to rethink some things, my friend. Oh, y'all want me to be nice? Y'all want me to be nice? I'll try to be nice. Hallelujah. See, we need to rethink things. Because what God calls great, the world calls nothing. And what the world calls great, God said is nothing. If you're going to be destined for greatness, it's going to start on your face. God, that's the only way that God can use any of us. It's the only way God can use me is if I stay on my face. Because if I ever start walking a little bit of pride, you know what happens to me? God just says, okay, son, you really think you're something? Pulls the rug out from underneath me. Leaves me standing up like a babbling idiot. See, I want to see greatness from God's perspective. And so this man, John the Baptist, who was great, said, I must decrease, but he must increase, and eventually lost his head for serving Christ. Come on, help me, Jesus. Maybe you've already arrived, but you know what? I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself right now because there's things in life, you know, that don't go my way. And when they don't go my way, I stop. Quit, gonna quit living for God, gonna quit, quit preaching, gonna quit this, gonna quit that, you know, because it didn't. Are you funny? Don't you understand? If you're gonna be God, great in God's kingdom, it's gonna start on your face. Yeah, I wanna be great. I wanna be used by God. I do, don't you? Want to be used? Yeah, we don't want to pay the price though. Okay, well, I'll go on. 
I can see this is going to rule real good. But it's still needed. The Holy Ghost spoke to me today. He said a lot of people don't understand what greatness is. They don't understand that greatness starts on your face. And, and greatness continues to operate in your life as long as you stay on your face. So whatever is happening in your life that is humbling you, stand up and praise God. Say, thank you, Jesus. I got a thorn in my side, but praise God. I've got to have a thorn in my side if I'm ever going to be used by him. I can pray and ask him to get rid of my discomfort and my problem, but I'll never be used by God. And this man, because he's a man of conviction, literally shakes his world upside down and eventually causes his death because he stands up and not politically correct, of course. He said, Philip... It's not lawful for you to have your brother. What is it? What's his name? Herod. Yeah. Herod. Thank you. <laughs> Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Herodotus says, I want his head. There's some things you can stand up and preach in a church and you know, you know they're going to try to kill you for it. I want to tell you something right now. They can take the head of that prophet off, but they can't stop the word that he preached. And in the ears of Herod, the echo of that wow prophet in his dungeon kept coming back in his ears. It's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. You're committing adultery. They said, the only way we can shut him up is to kill him. You can kill the man, but you can't kill the word. Because John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, but he was not the word. Jesus was the word. He was the voice. He's the voice that declared the word. The, listen, your word are your thoughts clothed in expression. John is the voice, but Jesus is the word. He must increase. I must decrease. Whatever you got to do in my life, God, to get me to a place I can be used. And God's going to raise up some people like you in these last days that are like the John the Baptist that have conviction that no matter what goes on around you you walk around and you tell them the truth and you stay in a place in God in humility because you understand what's valuable and what's not give God praise the law continue prophecies concerning Jesus Christ his birth baptism preparation hallelujah are y'all still awake well, I'm not doing too good tonight, but that's okay. I'm trying. Amen. Prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, 714, talks about he would be born of a, a virgin. Say a virgin. The place of his birth, Micah 5-2, Bethlehem Ephratah, was given in the scriptures. Micah, born a virgin. Matthew, is that, yeah, right there, Isaiah 7. You see that? Praise God. 
All right, his birth, we see his birth. Whenever he came to be born, the Bible says, the scripture says, that there was a registration that who? Oh, yeah, y'all are good. <laughs> Say, Herod. Herod required everybody to go to the ancestral home. Hallelujah. To register. The gospel say for taxes. They did not go and pay tax at that time. They just went to register. Even in history, at the time that we're talking about here, there was no tax that was paid during that time. History says that. But they went to register in their ancestral homes for taxation, the scripture says. But here's my point. There's going to come another day when people are going to be called forth by the government to register. And the way they're going to register you in the future is the mark of the beast. If it was called forth before his first coming, it will also be called forth before his second coming. So there will be another registration again. And there will be John the Baptists that preach again. And there will be an appearing of Jesus again. And there will be a registration required again. So you better make up your mind whose side you're on. But because without that registration, you can't even buy or sell. Much less hold a job. Oh, why? I just need to get over here just to teach my Bible study. Let you go to sleep out there. Close my eyes. But I'm telling you, friend, we are too soft. We, I, I'm too soft. You might not be, but I'm, I'm pointing the finger at me. I am too soft. We are, America has made us soft. Little discomfort, little problem comes, and we go to church, and we're zoned out. All we can think about is us. Our conditions. My needs getting met. We are so soft. There's going to be another registration. Would you take the mark of the beast to buy and sell? You know what? I can tell you right now. I'm right smack dab in the middle of a will of God. You know how I know? Because of what I feel out there. Hallelujah. Come on, if I was preaching something that's tickling your ears, smoothing it over, you know, I was preaching like that to you, I guarantee you, you know, give $50 to a drunk man, he'll rejoice all the way to the liquor store. And be slain in the spirit once he gets there. Yeah, but I preach a message like this, and ooh, it gets quiet. See, that's a good thing, though. I, we all need it. Woo, yeah. Ain't nobody calling me and cussing me out yet for what I preach on the radio. There ain't nobody trying to beat me up for what I preach. Lord, help me. What's wrong with me? Oh, God. I get a few saints. Everyone get this look on their face. <laughs> Let's me know I'm right on. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Yeah. Stirring up them devils. No, anyway. But the time of his birth, you know, they, they're over there. They're trying to find a place to give birth to Jesus. And nobody wants, I mean, well, they don't have room in the end for him. You got room for us? We're going to have a baby here. Uh, no, we don't have no room right now. So the Bible says he goes over and he's born in a manger. Now, the manger we have, you know, this concept of is not the manger. He was most likely born in a cave in the side of a hill. So that when he was born, he shook the foundations of the underworld. Hallelujah. Wasn't born and nobody, see, they didn't have place for him. They, they just don't have time. They don't have place for Jesus. They don't have room for him. They don't have time for him. This, they're too busy in this present life to have time for Jesus. There's no room for him in the end. So they take, but that's in the will of God too. So you go give birth to him so he in a, in a cave in the side of the hill somewhere so he can shake the underworld when he's by his birth. He's not born in a palace. He don't have all the creature comforts. He's got animals all around him. They had the, the beat of a they had the heartbeat of a beast that he can take out of man and replace it with a heart of flesh. Anyway, I'm not gonna try to preach that. That's a Christmas. <laughs> Amen. But the shepherds. You know, there wasn't a big line waiting for Jesus out there. They hardly even knew he had come. They hardly even knew he, they didn't even know he was born. They should have been looking for him. There wasn't a big, people, big crowd of people waiting out there saying, Hey, I hear Jesus is born. No, you know what it was? Three little shepherds in a field. Shepherds over sheep. Stinking shepherds. Common man. That the angels of God appeared and announced his birth. And shepherds go to him. In that manger. And then a little time goes, maybe a year or two go, goes, and he's in his house. And then the wise men appear to him in a house, not in the manger. Praise God. Bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh to him. You with me? And these wise men were not, you know, some kind of weird dudes. These were Jewish scholars that came. It doesn't say there were three of them either. But anyway, that's a Christmas message. Now, let me tell you something else. I'm just going to throw it out here. Might as well. You know, when all this is happening, can I tell you when it's all happening? September or October, around the Feast of Tabernacles. Not even close to the birthday of a pagan god. Not even close to the birthday of the sun god, which was December 25th. 
So if you want to celebrate his birth, don't do it December 25th. Do it September or October during the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when you want to celebrate his birth because he wasn't born in the winter time. I lost half, half the church right there. But anyway, hallelujah. They do come and they bring him gifts. But he's a young boy at that time. He's a little boy. He's not a little baby in a manger scene somewhere. And then we read about him at age 12. He's sitting there in the temple with the elders. Declaring the word of God. Blowing their minds with his knowledge. The doctors of the law. And this little 12-year-old boy is blowing their minds with his understanding of Old Testament scripture. And prophecy, you know, prophecy. Oh, yeah. Mom and daddy take off. Of course, y'all know the story. They take off. They forget Jesus. They left him behind. <laughs> Go on about two-day journey. Look around. Where's Jesus? Hmm? Must have left him. And they go back and they find him in the temple. And he looks at him and he says this, I must be about my father's business. And I'm not talking about Joseph. I'm talking about my father. I wonder when he got the revelation that he was the son of God. I wonder when it came on him. In fact, I kind of wonder what it was like to live with Jesus. He never did anything wrong. Never did anything wrong. His brothers and his sisters all around him. And, and mom and daddy tell him to do something. He's always 100% perfect. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Always doing exactly what he's supposed to do. When he's supposed to do. He don't even get a bad attitude. He's always right. He's always right. How would you have liked to have been Mary and Joseph with a perfect son in your house? How would you have liked to have been his brother or his sister? Who <laughs> and at some point it dawns on him that he is the son of the living God. In fact, he is God. Maybe it was when they came to try to find him and say, Where you been, Jesus? I must be about my father's business. He had a revelation right then of who he was. Man, I'm just talking to you about Jesus. And so from that time on forward, it's kind of, we don't really know what all went on through there except that he went back, he subjected himself to, you know, his mother and his parents, and he grew physical stature knowledge he grew in wisdom he grew in the spirit he grew are you with me and then the next time we hear about him is baptism time and he walks up there and John the Baptist the forerunner that I was preaching to you about was baptizing people unto repentance He looks up in the crowd. Yeah. 
the greatest invitation that has ever been declared in mankind in this earth was by John when he said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world the greatest introduction that was ever given was given by John behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world Jesus walks up there. He's going to be baptized by John in the River Jordan. John says, I need to be baptized of you. And you're asking me to baptize you. Jesus said, it must needs be to fulfill all righteousness. I've got to do this because I've got to fulfill the tabernacle priesthood, the washings of the priesthood because I'm a priest. Hallelujah. I've got to fulfill all righteousness. I've got to be an example to all people their need to be water baptized. And he goes down in water. Praise God. Baptized comes up and a dove descends out of heaven. And a voice from heaven says this. Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He doesn't say with whom. He says in whom I'm well pleased. Who was that voice? That was the, the omnipresent Spirit of God. Amen. Y'all with me? And immediately from this place of baptism, he goes into preparation. Before he ever does one miracle, before he ever preaches one message, he's baptized, and then he goes into a 40-day fast. Preparation. Say preparation. The Bible says... He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. The Bible doesn't say that the devil sent him out there. The Bible says the Spirit of God that was in him sent him to the wilderness for a time of preparation. And there he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You don't believe me? Read Luke 4. It says he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay? Amen. At the end of 40 days, the devil appears to him and tempts him. Are y'all okay? Tempts him. Number one. Make all these stones to turn into bread. You can do it. Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. You've been fasting 40 days. You can turn these stones into bread. Tempted him. And by the way, if you'll turn these stones into bread, you see, you can start your ministry right now. Because you, if you want to crowd Jesus, all you need to do is start a bread distribution program. Start a soup kitchen, Jesus. Oh, you don't want to hear me talk like this. You want a big following, Jesus? This will get you a following right here. Just start a bread distribution. You start turning stones into bread, and I guarantee you people will follow you. Uh, uh, why don't you start a lending institution? 
There you go. For everybody who walks up to your church door wanting a handout, wanting money, just start a lending institution. I mean, isn't the church supposed to be a bank? For sure you'd have a following if you start a lending institution at a bread distribution center. Don't look at me like that. I'm telling you the truth. But the church is not a lending institution. It's not a bread distribution center except for the bread of the word of God. It is a gospel preaching center. Now don't get me wrong. I know sometimes we all need help. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you one thing. Everybody comes knock on my door and say, hey, can you lend me money? Can you give me money? I'm not a bank. <laughs> uh, you know, um, well, First American Bank, he's around here somewhere. Uh, credit Union is over there. If you need a loan, there, I'll show you. There it is. But if you want the Word of God, you want to be saved, I can tell you how to get saved. Show you the Word. In fact, you want Bible study? <laughs> Woo, got quiet, didn't it? Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Not the word that preceded long ago, but by every word that preceded. It's a preceding word. I told you Sunday morning, some of y'all, when Jesus said, let there be light, it wasn't a one-time thing. He said, let there be light, 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 So he keeps on going, light, 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 It's a preceding word. It's ongoing. His word's still coming forth. He's still talking today. It's a preceding and that's what we are to live by, is the word of God. That preceding word that comes forth. Well, the devil couldn't get him with that one. So then the devil comes in and says, I'll tell you what. Go to the top of the pinnacle of the temple and cast yourself down. See, everybody's looking for a, a supernatural, miraculous appearance of Jesus. And if you just cast yourself down, the angels have charge over you, lest you bear your foot against the stone. They won't let you hurt yourself. Just cast yourself down, and about the time you're about ready to hit, they'll catch you, they'll bear you up. And everybody will start running to your crusade. crusade because they heard how you threw yourself off and supernaturally you came floating down in Jerusalem and appeared to everybody look at the crowd you got watch what I'm telling you he looks at him he looks at the devil and he says this thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God Can you see the devil? He little, little coward self. But Jesus, I'm just trying to help you, show you how to increase your ministry. Just, just turn bread, turn stones into bread. Hallelujah. Just do some supernatural stuff and you'll have a big church. Why are you getting so upset? Why are you talking to me like that? Get thee behind. You know, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
Amen. Are y'all okay? And then, okay, well, let's try this third thing. Starts fashioning the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time before the eyes and mind of Jesus Christ. The devil says, all of these will I give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus looks at the devil and says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. I am your God, devil. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You see, Jesus was aware of the way earthly kings get their power and their empires. It comes through political manipulation and the power of the flesh. But Jesus said no to all of them. You see, he understands he's got to go all, he's got to die. He's got to go to the cross. It's going to be a slow process. It's going to be through death, burial, resurrection. It's going to be through the word of God and the love of God. It's not going to be through all this stuff. You want me to start. It's not going to be through political like the political kings do. But I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to go and die. It's going to be a slow process, but it's going to be God. And those other things you're talking about, they will pass away. But what I'm going to establish, what I'm going to bring in is going to be based on my death. And the devil is not going to be able to ever stop it. And it will bring eternal results instead of temporary results. Because you can get temporary needs met. And die and go to hell. So Jesus said, I got to go and die for some people. Because I don't die for them. They'll go to hell. I can give them bread. What good is bread if they die and go to hell? What good is it if I heal? What good is it if I heal their bodies? And they, then they die. You know, they get healed. And then they get sick again and die and go to hell. What good is it? I put on a show here. And then people die and go to hell. But I put on a show. The devil is a deceptive enemy. He'll come to you. And he'll try to tell you, try to show you things, flashes of glory, that you can achieve, achieve on your own human level. And do it the devil's way. And do it the world's way. And yeah, look, you'll be famous then. You do it that way, it'll only be temporary. But if you do it God's way... If you do it how God tells you to do it and when God tells you to do it and you do it slowly through a process of death and dying to his will, it will bring about fruit, but it will be long-term fruit, abiding fruit, not some passing, fading glory. Amen? Amen? Jesus comes out of that wilderness. The Bible says this. He was led of the Spirit in the wilderness. When he comes out, the Bible said he is in the power of the Spirit. See, when you got the Holy Ghost inside of you, you, you got baptized with the Spirit, you know what I'm saying? You got born again, 
Now you're led by the Spirit, right? How many of y'all are led by the Spirit tonight? You're led by the Spirit, you're led by the flesh. I've already offended some of you. You don't like what I just talked about, but it's still the Word of God. Well, I thank God I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I thank God I'm led by the Spirit. But you know what? You've got to mix prayer with fasting to start walking in the power of the Spirit. Jesus did no miracle until after a 40-day time of prayer and fasting. Then he came out in the power of the Spirit. Not just led by the Spirit, but in the power of the Spirit. It makes a difference. When you consecrate and you take that flesh and you crucify it. And the devil's telling you, why are you doing all this? Why are you suffering? Why are you going through? Why are you subject yourself to this kind of pain? Because I want God in my life and the power of his spirit. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to suffer. But he did, because it was the will of God. It was the only way that God could bring salvation. Are you hearing me? Let's go on. Okay, I'm going to close. I'm almost through. Aren't you excited that I'm almost through? Hallelujah. I know you can't hardly believe it. You know, Jeremiah, he's something else. He's asleep so I can talk about him. <clears throat> Just don't, don't tell him I said anything. Just be quiet, be quiet. You know what he told Christina? He told my wife. He said, Daddy got the computer out again. That means it's going to be a long service. That's what he said, was it last week, or sometime last week, last week. And then today, I told him, I said, Jeremiah, I'm taking the computer tonight. He said, not the, not the umpooter. No, not the umpooter. He said, it, it just takes too long. He said, I, I would need to go home. <laughs> and when, when you bring out an umpooter, it's just too much. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> So I know when I broke out the computer, some of y'all are like, oh, okay, here we go again. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Wonder what time we're getting out tonight, Mom. Probably about 12. <laughs> but I'm on the last page. Christ's earthly ministry. When Jesus came after that 40 days of prayer and fasting, he came in the power of the Spirit. The devil left him for a little season. That literally means he left him for just a short period of time, but he would come back again. And from time to time, we see the devil coming against Jesus. We see Jesus on a boat, and the devil tries to kill him on a boat from time to time. But he left him for his season. So when you pray and you fast, the devil's attacking you. When you pray and you fast, he will leave you alone, but he will come back. After a little season. It's warfare, man. 
Jesus comes out of that wilderness and the power of the Spirit. He starts preaching and he starts doing miracles. Two things. Miracles and teaching. That was the ministry of Jesus. Miracles and teaching. The first miracle he did was turn the water into wine. With me? John chapter 3, marriage in Cain of Galilee. He shows up. Somebody has a need. They've run out of wine. Jesus turns the water into wine. They start drinking this wine. The people at the wedding, they say, wow, this is good stuff. Man. Most of the time, men put the best first. And then after men have well drunk, then they bring out the other stuff. Because you can't tell the difference anyway when you've well drunk. They get the, you know, stuff's not quite so good. And they're drinking that old stuff. But he's, the, the people there in this big old marriage, he said, you know what? He saved the best for last. See the world, his first miracle. The world always offers you the best at the first. But after a while, it loses its thrill. But you live for Jesus, and it gets better every day. You never, hey, hey, come on. You never lose the thrill because God, he's got something better today than he had yesterday. And it just gets better and better and better living for Jesus. But the world's just the opposite. It gives you the best. It promises you happiness. It promises you peace. It promises you excitement. And you do it, it's over and you're miserable. But you do the will of God. As you do the will of God, it gets better. He saves the best for last. Are you with me? Have you ever thought, looked at something and said, man, if I, if I can just do that, if I can just go there, if I can just get this, I'll be happy. You do that, you go there, and you get that, and you're miserable. Big old empty, empty, empty on the inside. Because the world offers the best at first, and the thrill goes away. But the kingdom of God, it just gets better and better and better and better. Even when you're suffering, it's good. Even when you're struggling, it's good. Even when you're being crucified, it's good. Because you know you delight to do His will. So, you know, it all depends on where our focus is today. If our focus is, if I can just do that, go there and get that, we will find that if that's our focus, that it just, the thrill, you know, goes away after a while. But if you're focused on God, you're living for Him, you find out, hey, this is awesome. This is getting better and better and better and better and better. I, woo! Praise God! See, a lot, I don't know what it is with Christians. 
Some of them come in, you know, they live for God for one, two years. Woo, first couple years. Ha! Woo! Running, praise God. So happy, singing joy. All of a sudden, about, you know, second, third year, all of a sudden, they just get like good Pentecostals sitting in a pew. Man, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. Been living for the Lord for about 22 years straight, never backslid by the grace of God. And in 22 years, can I tell you something right now? My excitement just is increasing. My fire is increasing. I haven't lost my dance. I haven't lost my shout. I haven't lost my praise. I haven't lost my zeal. I haven't lost my excitement. It gets better and better and better as the days go by. God have mercy. If I decrease in that It should be increasing. If I'm decreasing, my focus has shifted. Man, I, you know what? How many out there are like that right now? You're getting more excited every day. You can look back when you first came into the kingdom and how excited you were. And today, that hasn't diminished. There's no trial. There's no test. There's no devil that has hit you. There's no problem that has hit you that has taken that joy away. I can tell you today right now, I'm 22 years old. In the Lord. And it's getting better and better and better. I'm not losing it. I refuse to lose it. He excites me. I'm in love with him. Well, praise God. I don't miss, a, miss a day where a day goes by and haven't prayed. And just talk to yourself. Oh, you missed it, man. You just feel like you could just kick yourself. Because you missed a day and opportunity to fellowship with him. You could just whoop yourself. Because you know you missed something awesome. Something great. Something good. And it's not, it's not a drudgery to go to church. It's exciting. Can't wait to go. Can't wait to hear his word. Can't wait to learn more about Jesus. He saved the best for last. Don't let the devil trick you out there. And flash the world before you the way the world lives it. And then say, this is where true happiness is. It's not there. It's in walking with Jesus. The thrill doesn't diminish. The thrill only increases. At least it does for the, the true people of God. People who really know him and really walk with him. That's the way it is. You can take them and feed them the lines. And they'll stand there in the line in the amphitheater and sing. You can put them on stakes and light them up and burn them. And they sit there and sing praises unto God. I'm talking about true believers. Hey! 
he saved the best for last. And if he saved the best for last, and if it was on the third day of the week, I got news for you. If you thought it was awesome at Pentecost way back there two days ago, I'm telling you what he's about to do in the third day is going to be better than what he did then. There's going to be a celebration. There's going to be a marriage on the third day. And so that, that was a miracle that he did. Amen. Hallelujah. He healed the sick. Matthew 4, 23. Amen. God's good. Jesus, Matthew 4, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It's not at hand anymore. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. And his fame went throughout all the Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments. And those which were possessed with devils, those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. There followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from the Capitalists and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond the Jordan. God's good, isn't he? He's able to heal the sick. How many God's healed you before? Mark, the gospel of Mark, it was chapter 2. The Bible says that there is, he's in this house. It's, and this is in your manual, so I'm going to bring it to you. He's in this house. He's got people all around him. All of a sudden, he looks up there, and people are tearing the roof off. Four men tearing the roof off because one man's on his pallet. Rip the roof off, lower this man down in the presence of Jesus Christ. First thing Jesus does is said, your sins are forgiven you. Ooh, that got their attention. Who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sin. Yeah, that's right. He is God. All these religious people around there, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive. Yeah, he's God. You got that right? Only God can forgive sin. You miss it on the other hand, though. You don't see him as God. He's God. See, Jesus understood the greater need of man was not just that his body be made whole. He knew that that man needed to be, have his sins forgiven so that he could be rejoined to, to God, so that he could be in fellowship with God. So he forgave his sins first. And then he says, rise up and take up your bed. So he, oh, yeah, grabbed his pallet and was made whole. Body, soul, and spirits. You know the story. Then John chapter 11. We have another story where Jesus raised the dead. Amen. Now that's Lazarus right there. Oh, thank God for the Holy Ghost because I almost blew it. John 11 is Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. But in your manual, he don't even talk about Lazarus. I don't know what's going on here. And the man don't say nothing about Lazarus as far as I remember. It talks about the widow's son, the widow of Nain. So let's just talk about the widow of Nain, okay? 
I'm so sorry. I'm just giving you a Bible study tonight. <laughs> Little old widow woman, her son's died. She's on the way to bury him. It's a funeral procession. She don't even know Jesus is in the crowd. She don't even know he's there. She's crying. You know, all this stuff going on. My son has died. Jesus is the only preacher I've ever seen. Go up into a funeral service and stop the whole thing right there and tell the widow's son, the widow of Nain's son, just get up out of the briar. And the widow's son rose up in the briar. He raised the dead. <laughs> He's awesome. He still raises the dead. I said, he still raises the dead. <clears throat> Open blind eyes. Amen. Hey, I, I'm going to go on to this one. Cast out demons. Say, cast out demons. Two things. Now, I've said all of that to give you foundation to get to these last two. These last two right here is where the Holy Ghost really wants me to focus. Okay? So I've covered a lot of territory to give you foundation. But you need to understand demons being cast out and the teaching of Jesus. Are you with me? Demons, say demons, fallen spirits. Let's go back to Matthew again and let's read Matthew 4. Hallelujah. The Bible says right here in verse 24, His fame was throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. In this particular case, these people are possessed with devils. There are three words in the Bible that talk about demonic activity. Three biblical words. Number one word, torment. You can be tormented by demons. Now demons are fallen spirits. They are evil spirits. You can be tormented by a demon but not possessed by that demon. Just because you're tormented by that demon doesn't mean you are possessed with a devil. To be tormented means this. And to get the word torment, go to Revelation 9 and verse 5. And it talks about these locusts coming up out of the abyss. They have a king over them called Abaddon, which means destroyer. He's the king over them. They come forth and they torment men for five months. So demons, biblically, are said to torment men. When a spirit torments a man, he can torment the saints. A spirit, a demonic spirit can torment you. A demonic spirit can torment men in the world. To be tormented literally means to be harassed. Are you with me? It means to be distressed. So the enemy starts coming around and harassing you and putting you under distress. The word torment literally means to be on a ship and you're going into a headwind, a strong headwind. That's trying to hinder you from getting to your destiny. So when you come under a torment from the devil. I've been tormented by the devil. Not the, the devil, I don't think. I'm not big enough bait for him. 
You understand what I'm saying? I would be very surprised if anybody in this church has ever been tormented by the devil. We're just not big enough bait. All right. The Bible talks about he cast out devils. There's only one devil. But there are demonic spirits, evil spirits that are under his charge. Okay. So I know in times I have been tormented by demons. I know you have been tormented. It's only nine. Give me 30 minutes. I know at times you have been tormented by demons. You've been harassed. You've been distressed. You feel like you're trying to make, you know, get to your destiny. And it seems like this headwind of opposition is coming against you. The word torment also means to be 